calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hello and welcome to the IGN UK podcast. How are we doing, Joe? I'm fine, thank you, Cardi. You've got a very sing-song children's show tone today. Oh, thank you. Maybe I'll do one of those uh, CBeebies bedtime stories soon. You know, they get like Tom Hardy to do and stuff. Yeah, I don't want to hear you do a bedtime story. Oh, that's a shame. I've heard you read feedback. (laughs) (laughs) Heard me just speak. It's not pleasant. Uh, Matt. Do you want a bedtime story? No, I'd rather you were just normal men, just normal, innocent men. <laughs> <laughs> that is never going to happen. Um, I'm innocent, not committed any crimes, actually. Liar. Um, liar. Uh, apart from that massive fire I started. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know who kind of isn't afraid to break the law? Andor. He'll, he'll skirt around the borders of uh, those grey areas in life. We'll get on to him in a bit. But first got a little announcement Mm. it's kind of a semi-announcement it's more of a this probably is happening so be prepared (laughs) for the first time in a few years i think we're actually going to try and do a live show Mm. uh we missed we normally try and do one every hundred obviously 600 was kind of i think that was towards the end of pandemic lockdown time we thought we don't want to do that i doubt many people want to do that so we didn't do that i say anyone who did come to that live show would have been part of the problem (laughs) so we didn't want to do it (laughs) Exactly. But now we're thinking of in a few weeks of doing a live podcast, 666. It won't actually be on the date (laughs) that that would be in uh, our run of shows, but we're going to call it that anyway, because, you know, it's a reason to theme it a bit horror-y, maybe a bit Halloween-y, but Mm. we haven't actually locked anything down yet. We're hoping to do that next week, but for now... Keep Thursday the 20th of October in your back pocket if if you're thinking of coming to that. It will be in London. It will be in the evening. Um, and that's kind of all we really know for now. But yeah, keep an eye out and an ear. Ooh, it's a little right. verbal <laughs> say the date, save the date for everyone. A little sending out exactly. a little message. Exactly. Uh, just don't, please don't book anything. Come to please. us. Yeah, I don't know what else is out that week, but you know, don't 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 do it when you can be doing this. <laughs> um, right, I teased it. We've got quite a bit to go through this week, actually, but. 
first up is Andor. Mm. Yesterday, we're recording this on Thursday, so yesterday, <laughs> Andor dropped the first three episodes of Andor. I reviewed it, Prygen, give it a big old 9 out of 10. I very much enjoy it. It is my cup of tea, and it's just, I don't know, it's just different from anything we've recently got from Star Wars, which is probably why I'm enjoying it so much. Have you guys watched all three episodes at all? Yeah, yes. baby. Nice. What do you guys think? Matt? Okay, I'll go first. Uh, Watched the first two episodes, thought it was a bit boring. Got to episode three, really liked it and was like, hold on, why do I really, really like it? Because I genuinely think episode three is fantastic. Mm -hmm. So what did I do? I had to go back and watch episodes one and two again just to make sure that I was right or wrong. Uh, Turns out I just like it all now. So I finally come round. I think you you said it to me, Cardi, like the, the first three episodes feel very much like one piece like yeah absolutely and obviously that's a feature length thing and because they're around half an hour an episode which is nice in and of itself um but it does feel like it has a proper a proper arc that 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 three episode section and i would i would get through them like including how it's paced um Mm -hmm. episode three is where you start getting proper action um yeah that are we gonna are we gonna spoil up to I don't think three? we're gonna no, let's keep it spoiler free because well, we there's a, at the time. There's a fight scene in a warehouse uh, there we go. that yeah. I think has like it ju- it's just such a perfect action scene. Like mm-hmm. it, it does that thing that great action movies do, which is it builds in an element of uncontrollability beyond the people having the fight that is just yeah. really, really exciting throughout the whole it's, scene. And I was and just that's like what? Yeah, it's yeah. so good. That's what Tony Gilroy's great at a lot of. Mm. He's the man behind the Bourne, the original Bourne trilogy. And like, although he didn't direct those, like he, you know, he wrote he wrote them all. And you can see kind of you're not getting quite that like hand to hand sort of combat you're getting from Bourne, but you're definitely getting that more guerrilla style, that more grounded fight scenes, which I think I'm enjoying. Like I put in my review, like I do enjoy a good lightsaber fight, and you know. I do think as it's kind of a rule when you're fighting stormtroopers, they're going to be slightly shoddy mm. blaster fights just because they have to be. But like it was refreshing just to see some proper grounded combat. And apart from what, apart from Andor and Mon Mothra in this show, everyone else can be disposable. We don't know who they are. And that I think that's what make like heightens those stakes is those fights feel real, and anyone could just pop off at any moment. And, that's it. You know, I've seen yeah. people be like, "Oh, it's a prequel to a prequel, so we know everything that's going to happen." And it's like, well, actually. It's no. really not giving us much of that luxury. Like, obviously, we know that Andor has to get through. And yeah, as you mm-hmm. say, there are a couple of characters, but really, a lot of this feels quite up in the air about how he gets to the place he gets to. They're doing a really good job early on. I'm not, I think I've said it before on the podcast, I'm not a massive fan of Rogue One. I think the, fi- I, yeah. I think the final third of that movie is really fantastic, but I, I didn't like the build up to the, the good bit at mm-hmm. the end. Um, and this is doing a lot of the stuff that I wish Rogue One had done. My wor- my my disappointment in that was that it was a movie built around like a team built for a heist, but we never actually really get any of the fun stuff about learning who all those people are as a group. It's just a bunch mm-hmm. of people getting together from their separate stories and then doing that one thing, and we don't get much of them as the interactive elements. And this does so much to build like Andor's relationships with other people, other people's relationships about Andor besides him in in the amount of time that Rogue One had to do it. Like, it's not just mm-hmm. that this is 
um, you know, you've got the luxury of TV. Like, this does a movie's worth of stuff and does all of that stuff that I wish Rogue One had done better. Um, I really like that he's kind of shit. Um, mm-hmm. it's, that's really interesting. Um, I, some of the side characters are incredibly charming really quickly. There's this old dude who turns up in episode three, who I'm pretty sure won't be back for any meaningful stretch of the rest of this show, who I just loved hearing him have a chat with Stellan Skarsgård for ages. Um, and uh, Skarsgård is so good. Yeah. And just tons of, I know, come on, UK podcast, just tons of really interesting British accents you never hear in something like this. Even Star Wars, which is, you know, pretty open to different accents like it's really a lot fun of enjoyable scottish of accents in this yeah i actually think this is i'm gonna go out and say this like having now watched basically the entire thing twice through i think this is the best kind of like side characters cast i've ever seen in a star wars film like mm-hmm. projects every single one of them is played by a genuinely fantastic character actor whether you know who they are or mm. not they've got yeah. that kind of vibe no one feels like i sometimes think that the British accents can feel a little bit out of place in Star Wars is almost as if it's kind of like there's real actors and then there's these kind of British people <laughs> that they found on the side that they put in just because they've got a different accent to our heroes. I don't think that happens in this. Like everyone feels textually part of this world. Mm. I think particularly the guy that's on the the bus that you're, you're mm. referring to there, I think he's very good. But I also love there's a, a police chief in the first episode. He's brilliant. Yeah, who He's the kind of guy who pops up in everything. He just has he's that in, voice. He's in Game of Thrones, <laughs> isn't he, for a little yeah. bit? I think so, yeah. But just that kind of like, he gets across this real kind of feeling of, it's not just the character as this police chief that sort of doesn't care, that doesn't really want to have like a lot of paperwork on his plate. That, that story then ties into the grander kind of like problems that are in this world of like, a police force that really doesn't give a crap about the people that are both within it and without it. And that sort of then ties into this. The thing that I really love about this, that I am a fan of Rogue One, and I think Rogue One really was going for something that I wish had got around to earlier than than Andor, is we keep talking about Star Wars projects that show different sides of the Star Wars universe. I think this is the first time we have genuinely been shown a proper different side of the Star Wars universe. Mm kind of like the Mandalorian sort of promises that, but ultimately revisits Tatooine every third episode and (laughs) just can't escape the gravity pull of that planet. (laughs) This is not just set on planets that we have, or at least as far as I'm aware, haven't seen in Star Wars before, but it is set at a street level rather than galactic level, which took me for a surprise because it's... This happens in the first five minutes, so you know I'm going to accept that this is not a massive spoiler, but Cassian kills someone in a back alley, and in any other Star Wars show, that would just be, oh, there's a, there's a dead person in a back alley, and the story's going to continue. That killing of someone has massive repercussions for that character, and mm-hmm. you know there are in, you know police investigators getting involved, and it feels at a pace like we're, we're so far down from the galactic empire and all of their kind of political movements it's so on the street it's so of people that are of star wars's mm-hmm. like civilian reality that it creates an entirely different vibe and i think it's it, it really is genuinely something i've not seen in star wars before yeah i love that opening five minutes so much like mm-hmm. i wrote my review like it instantly just it throws blade runner in your uh, face yeah, but yeah. i'm mm-hmm. you know i'm into that like it's just it's i don't know there's just Andor is kind of like 
whether like originally they were going like in Rogue One maybe of him to be almost like a, a type of Han Solo character, he is more like a different Han Harrison Ford character, he is more like a Deckard mm-hmm. in this, I think, which is, you know, he is kind of slightly operating in these grey areas, but also like you mentioned, Joe, he is kind of a little bit like clumsy sometimes and a little bit like yeah, he just gets things wrong. This is the thing you forget about Blade Runner and Blade Runner twenty forty nine to a certain extent, is that like Deckard because that those films are so cool, you kind of forget that Deckard's like constantly getting fucked up and failing. Yeah. And like that's what I'm enjoying about Andor Andor is we're not in a situation where this guy is at the point of being a hero. Even, and he's not even really showing... He doesn't really want to be. No, <laughs> and he's not even really showing, like, the stuff that will make him a hero later. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of fucking up and running away. And, like, mm-hmm. it's really nice to see that. Like, never mind this being Star Wars. In a mainstream, like, uh, mm-hmm. relatively, you know, non-violent... Uh, and that is very much a relatively non-violent, like compared to the likes of Game of Thrones and stuff. It's really cool to see a main character act that way. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Diego Luna's got like this odd nervous energy to him that you don't really get in in Rogue One. Like this is a, di- a very different guy, um, mm-hmm. but in a in a really satisfying it kinda, way. Like, reflects the whole like I think paranoia is just the whole tone of the first three episodes, and like, I'm into it so much. It's just so much more. It just feels like. A premium TV show, like compa- especially compared, like it's mind blowing to me. And they did shoot a lot of this practically, which you know a lot of people have spoke about this year with Top Gun Maverick stuff. I feel like it does add so much more to things. Like mm. Ob One for I don't know what the budgets are compared to between this and Ob One. I imagine a lot more went on cast for Ob One, but um, this just looks so much better. It look it shot so much better. It's just they've got Nicholas Bratel doing the music, who's the Succession man. Like they've gone all out. It's like who are like the classiest operators we can get to do this, mm-hmm. and it's just all come together so far. The for me. sheer amount of like physical prop work that's in this, like actual built environments that are full of like broken bits of spaceship and all of that, which mm-hmm. you know is there in other Star Wars TV projects, but not to the. It feels like it's packed every kind of sector of the screen, has something that's interesting and vibrant's the wrong word in terms of colour, but it's got vibrancy in that there's so much detail packed in there. Well, it's not about mm-hmm. scale of landscape like so much Star Wars mm-hmm. is, where it's like you could see the horizon in every shot and there's fucking Star Destroyers sticking out of the dirt and stuff. Like this is grubby little spaces mm-hmm. just full of people and stuff. Um, yeah. And it gives it a very like you say like a very different feel um there's a shot in the in the third episode no end of the second episode um where we see like the bus that we've been talking about flying over um mm. and then it cuts down to andor just walking towards the camera in a scrapyard mm. and this music plays and it's just like amid this i love that it kind of has its cake and eats it because you've got this show that's all quite quiet and talky and slow in places particularly in those first two episodes and I mean slow in a good way. I think, Cardi, you've talked about this with um, House of the Dragon and Rings of Power as well. Like, I think a lot of people are reacting badly to having slow TV shows, and mm-hmm. I'm really enjoying all of these TV shows oh, taking I, their I, time and I love being it, about especially chat. Especially with this. 
compared to especially a lot, and this is going to like me, I'm not mo about the MCU, I watch all the shows, I enjoy them quite mm. a bit, but they do not take time to set stage or mm. develop characters in their TV shows. It's pretty much, maybe you'll get half of the first episode, they'll they'll introduce you, but then it's right, let's have a fight scene and straight away yeah. you're like, we're into it. It's more, it's more preoccupied with telling jokes and fight scenes than it is developing story or characters, and that's what, I understand some people may find the first episode a bit slow, but like, that's exactly what I wanted in it. If you have found yourself like falling off a little bit, do make your like do make your way to episode three because it really is worth yeah. it. So I do think that's like a, an excellent. Episode say, I, that's what I had. Like I had the problem that I thought it wasn't necessarily that I had a problem with the slowness. I just felt like it wasn't actually developing anything. And then kind of episode three put so many pieces into place. It was like, have I just missed the progress to these pieces? Mm. And then I went back, and I think almost having the like the 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 new site of what it was going to everything kind of fell into place for me so i would very much encourage people to stick through those two episodes even if you think it's not for you i think you will mm-hmm. quickly find in episode three that it actually is for you mm-hmm. yeah and i i've been lucky enough to I've, I've reviewed the first four episodes so i've seen next week's as well obviously not gonna spoil it but it continues to be great like and it from this point after episode three as you can probably guess things are going to broaden out and like more in, just more like little interlinking things come into play and yeah it's i think it's hopefully what we've got 12 episodes in this season then they've already planned out a second 12 episode season so it's nice they seem to have a plan in mind a pacing in mind and i just from probably two or three months ago i think you might have said in this podcast like i really wasn't that bothered about this show i was like oh, i don't know if i need another one it's now like up that I'm pro- I'm more looking forward to the next episode of Andor than I probably am Rings of Power or um, House of the Dragon, which definitely surprises me. Mm-hmm. That um, second season as well is the that runs to Rogue One, doesn't it? It's it's a mm-hmm. two season setup. So the fact that they know what they've got to work with, I think, is more promising rather than just we'll endlessly tell this story until we've run out. Yeah, exactly. Um, I got slightly off track, but all I wanted to say is that bit where he's walking towards the camera, after all that slowness, you do have a moment of just like pure cinematic cool shit happening. Mm-hmm. And I love that mm-hmm. it's doing both of those things quite seamlessly. It's just, I'm I'm having a lovely time with it so far. Yeah. And, and of all the new big, like, uh, geek culture shows at the moment, this one feels like the one that I absolutely did not expect. I, this is the one yeah. where I'm like, cannot wait to see more of this and like i've had a couple people ask me like if i don't care about star wars i'm burnout out star wars should i still watch i'm like i think you don't yeah. need to know anything about star wars and that's the beauty of this this will be better if you is. haven't seen rogue one like this, yeah. like this will actually be a better show um not because rogue one's bad just because you won't know who this dude is like this is all fresh to you in that case um mm-hmm. that's cool yep can't wait for more um what we we're also lucky enough matt to have more Lucas film <laughs> art slash adjacent stuff. A new Monkey Island is in our hands. Something I never thought... Well, I thought we'd probably get another Monkey Island, but never one again from Ron Gilbert. Mm-hmm. And to an extent, we've been treated. I know uh, a lot of people are going mad about this game. And both you and me have both played this. And I think we both enjoyed it quite a bit. It's not without its flaws, in my opinion, but... It's still just, it's so good to be back with Guybrush, isn't it? Yeah, I, he's, uh, we both have kind of similar, I think, tracks in the, like the original Monkey Islands were some of the earliest games that we ever played. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly Monkey Island 2 was the game that I think cemented the fact that like I was actually interested in video games rather than thinking that they were little toys on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've grown up with a huge amount of affection for this series. And after 30 odd years, two of the original three creators have teamed back up 
which is Dave Grossman and Ron Gilbert. Uh, Ron Gilbert is generally the one that's seen that brought an awful lot of the magic to it. No Tim Schafer this time because he's obviously off doing double mm-hmm. fine stuff. But yeah, so this is a, I guess, sort of sequel to his two games whilst also keeping <laughs> the other games that have been made it's, since. It's surprisingly metatextual, yeah. which, mm-hmm. you know, I was not quite... I was expecting maybe some nods here and there, but yeah, it goes full in on where, like, almost deliberately kind of not placing itself anywhere in a timeline. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it, it dances around that, but is very much... it. It's a huge debt. Like it can't, it can't obviously owe a debt to those original games because it's been made by the people that made yeah. those. But you know, the storyline of this revolves around Guybrush's hunt for the secret of Monkey Island, which was the thing that he was looking for in the very first game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in that way, it's very much kind of as a piece with a lot of kind of modern day returns to old things, in that they like to riff on the nostalgia of those it's very much the force awakens of monkey Island. yeah yeah kind of like to the point where it's kind of like if the force awakens is kind of like treading kind of the high beats of a new hope mm. return to monkey island treads the beats of both the secret of monkey island and lechuk's revenge it is though imagine like the high end beats of those games glued together in sequence so you're almost like replaying to a point even some of the same storylines that were in those games but remixed for kind of a modern day older guy brush that's kind of you know going back to an era that really you probably should have left behind um but <laughs> no he's back on the pirate hunt back like engaged with like his mortal nemesis lechuk um, and so, yeah, that is that comes in the form of a classic point and click game to the point where kind of like Melee Island is recreated exactly as it was in kind of the 1990 original. Um, and this is where kind of like both of its massive amounts of charm comes from, but also some of its lower points, I'd say. Yeah. In that it is once again a puzzle game. It is once again like picking things up, putting them in your inventory, combining things together to solve puzzles that gradually push you through the storyline. Um, this time, the puzzles are a little bit more modern um, because a big kind of thing that people would put as a criticism to the old games is that there wasn't really a, any amount of proper logic involved in those puzzles. Like, you quite frequently just be like, you'd look up in a walkthrough how to do something you were stuck on. You're like, how the hell would I possibly have known how to do that? <laughs> like, very big jumps of logic. And occasionally... I really like this puzzle, but there's a puzzle in Monkey Island 2 where to open uh, like a bolt on a water fountain, you use an actual monkey as a monkey wrench, and it's that wordplay. I think that's really fun, but I know an awful lot of people fucking hate that puzzle because (laughs) of how unobvious and unlogical it is. All of that kind of stuff has been wiped out for Return to Monkey Island, and the puzzles are a lot more straightforward, I think, even on its hard mode, which... Cardi, I think you have a similar opinion on to me that that almost wipes out some of the enjoyment. Yeah, it it does for me. And I, I know it varies. Some people would just be in this for a fun story. And it's kind of where it kind of, it kind of tries, like Andor, tries to have its cake in a year. But I don't think it manages to, in my opinion, because I think on one hand, they've kind of simplified the puzzles and streamlined them to make them a lot easier, which is good for newcomers who might want to try Monkey Island game and never have before. But I think on the other side of that, the story is so referential and so many of the jokes rely on you knowing what Monkey Island is Mm -hmm. and old games. 
I think you will lose a lot of the charm if you're a newcomer to this series. So I feel like it kind of has tried to do both and hasn't has done both of them to good levels, but n- not nailed it in mm-hmm. my opinion. I just think a lot of the solutions are just pick up this bring it to someone else which Mm -hmm. isn't what i look for in these games like i want to like talk to people listen to them they might offer me some info that then i go oh i've got to do that and Mm -hmm. that very rarely do you have a conversation that really matters in this game that isn't just a a joke and a lot of the jokes do land there's i think we both agree there's nothing quite as hilarious or that stands out in the memory as the first two or even curse monkey island which i think we both agree might like it might be my favorite which might be blasphemy to Mm -hmm. some yeah between two and three for me is is the best in the series but yeah i just and i think my major issue is i'm just i never there are like new areas you go to but i don't ever really feel like i'm there whereas like in the original monkey island like I felt like Melee Island, I spent so long there and I knew everyone mm-hmm. I knew, like, I got to know that town. Whereas these places you go, like, in the new one, they're really, like, barren. And yeah. there's maybe, like, one person in a location mm-hmm. and you just... I think that's partly due to the art style, which when I first saw it, I wasn't overly keen on. When I was playing it, I think it works beautifully. Yeah. I think it's, mm-hmm. like, really good, a really good-looking game. But I also think that sort of more basic art style the more like just blocks of colours leads to less dense areas and just also in hand does make puzzle solutions easier, if that makes any sense. So I don't actually agree with you on the idea that the art style is behind the problem here because Melee Island, which remains exactly as it was in the the original, aside from like there's a few areas that aren't there anymore because characters have moved on in the years since, but that feels like it's alive. It feels like there's lots of stuff to see. It feels like it's good. The new islands that weren't in previous games do feel like they are there yeah. just to serve up sometimes a single item and then have you go on your way. Whereas the thing I love about Monkey Island 2 and Monkey Island 3 was when you got your map and you could sail between islands was the idea that like to solve a solution on island A, you would have to go to islands B and C to find new items. But f- on that journey, you'd be figuring out, oh, I found this thing on on, on island B. I don't know what it does, but when you go to Island C, you're like, oh, suddenly I can mix it with this thing and then go back to Island A and then solve that puzzle. Mm-hmm. The way that they've done it in this one very much feels like you'll go to Island B and find something you're like, oh, okay, I need to take that back to Island A and then yeah. give it to another it's, it's character. It's very like, yeah, I picked up something and I was like, oh, I know what to do that mm-hmm. instantly. But so, a lot of time in these games, you'd have like 15 things in your inventory and it's like, I have no idea what I'm going to eventually do with mm-hmm. these. And like, just, yeah, you try and... And the fact that you now just click on things once you don't have the look at, push at, so that, I think that simplifies good. it quite a bit. I think that's good because it removes a lot of the um, the things that is frustrating just, about yeah, the original game. trial and error. Yeah, which is it. just like, do I push on this? Do I pull on this? Do I try and talk to this? I think the idea of kind of like streamlining it to the fact that there are only kind of a few things, which is what Monkey 3 did with its like little gold coin that mm-hmm. kind of massively simplified it down to you could do three things. I think all of that works and it makes it feel like it's a modern game. There's particularly also characters that will sometimes accompany you and you can talk to them and they give you sort of almost like Sony first party hints, like the opening tutorial. You're accompanied by another character who's constantly like when you talk to him will give you like a little bit of a nudge, which reminds me how companion characters in like Uncharted work. And I think that felt really modern. Yeah. But it's the fact that kind of like when you go to other islands in like the second half of the game, 
they don't feel like they're broad enough to explore and find things that you don't know what they're going to do and then do all of the fitting together. It feels like when you go to a place, it's almost like a single stage for you to do something on and then move on. And so for me, the first half of the game is so much more like enjoyable and charming at a point where I don't expect the puzzles to be hugely challenging in that first half. Um, and it's got all of the best bits because the two islands it explores are way more kind of like put together than when it opens up towards the second half of the game. And then I think you really do notice like, oh, there's not a lot of progression here. And oh, these islands aren't quite as good as what it was yeah. before. And then you start to realize, okay, the, they hit like a, a pretty good quality bar in some respects, but we're not going beyond there. No, the puzzles are are where I think it, it's let down slightly. Now, I don't want to be too down this game, so I did ultimately enjoy it. Like, I'd, I'd probably go for like a seven if if it was me mm-hmm. scoring it. Like, I think the I charm and back. just exactly being bad, the charm, like Guybrush is still great. Like mm-hmm. all the characters are still great. Like there's a lot, all of that is still there, and I did enjoy it. But yeah, I just maybe it's just me. I wanted a more. I just wanted a tougher puzzle game. This, yeah. this this is it as well, isn't it? Like yeah. he mm-hmm. has said, we're not doing more of this. It's very much, yeah, it has almost like a post-credit thing not to be like, and that kind of signifies we're done here. Um, but yeah. Hmm. Are you tempted at all? Joe, you, you've no, you're not a huge monkey man, are I, you? I, I really liked the first two when I was a kid. They don't, mm-hmm. they hold nostalgia for me. I don't return to them. They didn't like define define me in the same way I think it, it did for you two. Um I will definitely play it. Like it is, it is a piece of kind of living history, which mm-hmm. is really nice. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm delighted it exists. Um, I, like, yeah, it doesn't. It, it's the kind of thing I can see myself like plowing through at Christmas or like when I have a bit of time off, like and really kind of digging into getting all that story goodness and then sort of kicking away from. But yeah, it's not. It hasn't been the biggest thing on my radar this year, mm-hmm. and I'm I, I am sad to hear that it hasn't like hit the heights for you in the same way that you were, you would yeah, have. Hoped I, I'm for. still I'm just I'm grateful more than anything that we got it because I wanted it for so long, Absolutely, and it was nice yeah. to be back. Like especially the opening, like half an hour or so, like they do do almost like we talked about it, Matt, almost like the Top Gun Maverick thing of just basically repeating the intro of the mm-hmm. original, and that just hits you like if, oh, God, if you yeah. love those games. And, so, and sort of like, you know, having the voice cast back, that as you say, the art style works surprisingly well. If you don't like what you've seen, I think you'll like it in like the coherence that it creates. And mm-hmm. by no means did I have a bad time with it. Like I, it took me about 10 hours to get through and I had a great time playing it. It's just particularly having played all the others in the build up to this and particularly mm-hmm. those first three, I think I got myself in the mind frame of having effectively what Monkey Island 3 was to 2. It was, you know, it was different, but it was a real good, real faithful continuation of what that is. And, you know, I'm not saying it's not faithful because it quite literally is the people that made it, but their approach to kind of like what a modern day monkey is, particularly when there's two different modes, there's casual and hard mode, I really think this, what I played, should have been the casual mode. And I mm-hmm. would have liked one which ha- which you had to put a few more dominoes in place mm. to get a puzzle to flick yeah. over. It's no Mega Monkey, that's no. for sure. Um, yeah, it's. I think that's where yeah, I land on. It's an enjoyable nostalgia trip, but not a cutting-edge puzzle mm-hmm. game. So, yeah, there's my one line. Put it, put it on the box. Um, there you go. Joe, 
You've got a bit of... You have been pointing and clicking somewhere else, though. What have you been doing? I've been to the horrible town of Norco. Um, it just sounds. It doesn't sound nice. It's does a it, real Norco? place. Nor- it sounds like an insult. Like yeah. you Norco, you absolute Norco. Um, <laughs> it is. It's a real place, as it turns out. I found out since I played um, Norco, sorry, Louisiana. Um, and uh, Norco is a game that came out in March, I believe. Um, it is the debut game from a company called Geography of Robots, which is a good developer Ooh. name. Um, and it immediately got like a uh, profile in the New Yorker. It be- went to the Tribeca Film Fe- uh, Tribeca Games Festival, I should say. Got a lot of attention, and you play it, and you really understand why it is like a wildly confident, incredibly strange take on point and click. Um, and it really does invoke and get pretty close to being worthy of invoking the likes of Disco Elysium and. Uh, Kentucky Route Zero like it's doing different things to those games it's closer to Kentucky Route Zero um, but it's it's really trying to sit in those same spaces of games that have like a great deal to say and really interesting ways of saying it so it's a game about um, you are a character called Kay who has sort of abandoned her family to go looking around what appears to be near future and possibly slightly alternate reality America um, in which the climate crisis has really bitten. Um, America itself seems to be, there are hints that it's sort of coming apart at the seams, like places are kind of devolving into civil war of some kind, although it's not like totally made clear to you. Um, There's like mass poverty, mass disaster, um, it all sounds, sounds it all sounds yeah. incredibly grim. But what I love about this game is that it has this like quite self-conscious silliness at the same time. So your character goes away, then her mother dies, she comes back home and she realizes that her brother who was living there is missing. And the whole game is just like can you find your brother in town effectively. Um you can travel from location to location. You can talk to people as you'd expect. There are a few little puzzles. Um, and it also does the Kentucky Route Zero thing of like occasionally just very briefly turning into completely different kinds of games. Like there are bits where you're sort of driving a boat around a bayou um, and that's like a top-down game. There are bits where it turns into like complete text adventure um, because you're in the dark. So you can't see anything, so it's a text adventure instead. It does like really smart little bits and pieces, but it is ultimately a visual novel first and then experimental little game ideas on top of that. But you realize super quickly that like it's properly fucking weird. Like it is not it is not the grim, inward looking like uh sort of brown colored game that you think it's going to be and it becomes like there's like this is not a spoiler to say this is established so quickly there is like a rogue ai who might be connected to a dude your mum knew there might be some sort of alien in the swamps um there is a whole cult of guys who refuse to call themselves anything other than garrett who are trying to build a spaceship like it's fucking bonkers and you ju- it's just like unfolds into this insane like um magical realist conspiracy drama uh out of being this very sad like politically pointed setup and it 
it teeters between those two sides constantly and you don't know whether it's being serious or silly until it's doing those things in your face. And the ending is fucking nuts. Like, it's really, really interesting. And if you're into games, like, that just, you don't... It, it will... It, I think it will turn some people off because it's not, like, gamey game. And it's not point-and-click puzzle adventure. But if you want to sit there and have someone tell you, like, a truly weird story that could only be done in this form, it's so worth it. Like, it has so many ideas. I... I devoured it in like two or three sittings it's and i'd say it's probably about five or six hours long it's not huge but like it's one of those ones where you just sit there and let it wash over you it's properly weird it's great you've you've definitely intrigued me with that i think i'm gonna give it a go it sounds like my sort of setting i did you mentioned kentucky route zero that's one game i thought i'd absolutely love i got like i finished episode one i just dropped it i was like i don't know sign about it didn't grab me so so weirdly, I I fell off it later. I loved episode one of Kentucky Route Zero. Kentucky mm. Route Zero got much much stranger, but it was a lot more blank about its strangeness. Like that really was like classic magical realism in a lot of places. Mm. This feels a lot more like it knows it's a game and it's playing with game ideas and game plot lines, but with from the perspective of someone who's clearly very very clever um, and. I think I like it more for that reason. I think Kentucky Route Zero might be the more accomplished like set of game ideas like in terms of what you play, but I think mm-hmm. Norco in terms of its story might be telling a more interesting story to me. Um, Is there just it's also, one ending or are there choices to make? There are... So there's the kind of choices that are like reflected back at you, but without mm-hmm. meaningful changes. There are, I believe, three endings. I think two okay. of them are very similar. Um, and I think the third, you kind of almost have to purposely fuck up to get it. Um, so that would be kind of like choosing to get the bad ending. I think um, I I think I got the best possible ending, which is meant to be quite hard to get, but it didn't seem it seemed very logical to me. So I don't know whether I just hit the right set of points or what. But um, there's lots of secrets if you go looking in weird places as well, and like it. it it rewards you for doing stuff that you're not necessarily meant to be doing quite a lot, um, but it's very rarely to like change the narrative in meaningful ways. Like it really wants you to get to a place where it's telling you what it's telling you. Um, mm-hmm. It's also like fucking amazing looking. Some of the best pixel art I've ever seen. Like in terms of landscapes, particularly, it's just absolutely gorgeous. It's it's so good. Um, nice. It's probably I'm definitely going to check it out. I felt like from Monkey Island now, I'm maybe getting into back into a little yeah. bit of a point and clicker or puzzle it's on sort of kick it's so. on pc game pass now and it's out on consoles on the 20th of october i think so lots of chances to play it um nice yeah if you like weird shit it's your kind of weird shit i promise oh. well you've also been seeing some other weird shit some yeah. other weird grim shit yeah. joe which i know maybe you're not quite as keen on mm. i think would be fair to say you got to and this was a while back now at gamescom mm. got to play a good old chunk of that their scorn. Let me tell What's you about like? playing scorn. <laughs> when you play it for an hour and then the PRs are so annoyed that you haven't finished the puzzle that you've been walking around for an hour that they let you play for 15 more minutes and you can very clearly through the supposedly noise cancelling headphones <laughs> hear a developer say how frustrated they are at you because you haven't seen a panel. Um it was a great experience. Is that your fault though? I don't know. I think it was both of our fights, I was sorry, really. because so I, I was booking the Gamescom points. I was so tempted just... I didn't want to 
be too funny with it, but I really wanted to put you in at Scorn on like 9am Thursday, just <laughs> I after I a day I knew off. you'd be out. Yeah, it's been like 9am Scorn, um, let's go. This sounds like I'm, I'm being more down on it than I, than I actually feel. I think Scorn has a has real promise, um, mm-hmm. but the first hour or hour and 15, as I did, um, <laughs> is, uh, is a, like a changeable thing. It's A, it's much more of a puzzle game in the vein of The Witness than I thought it would be when I went in. So it looks like a first-person shooter horror game, and it look, mm. may, or maybe a stealth horror game, something like that. Uh, and I believe later on there are guns, and I believe there are enemies that can hurt you and stuff like that, but really this first hour is like centered around that you have two big puzzles. One is open this door, and the next one is like make this flesh column work um if you haven't seen scorn it's basically sounds very dodgy yeah um (laughs) if it's if you haven't seen scorn it basically looks like uh, a giga pain thing um Mm -hmm. it's like some huge flesh biomechanical creep world where everything is horrible and made of blood but with squelching yeah Oh, it's the witness if, uh, like, <laughs> if Jonathan Blow had gone absolutely nuts. Um, I mean, I think he might. Have, well, but... yeah, but in a in like a dangerous I'd, I'd, way. If he'd yeah, if he'd decide that the island was made out of his own innards. Yeah, if it was his own skin <laughs> and his computer. Um, uh, and like, so what it actually is is these two big puzzles that you realise are actually chains of other puzzles. So for the door. I'm not going to give away solutions and stuff, but effectively you've got to get uh, something from an egg all the way down Tell to the door. Tell us about the fetus. Yeah. So this egg has a little fetus <laughs> man in it. Um, he's really upset. Uh, and this was the problem with Scorn. Is like, I actually quite like, I like Gigari, creepy, yeah. Junji Ito type, like creeping horror stuff. Um, I'm less into like straight up, fucking grim uh blood horror stuff yeah just like here's how gross can we be yeah sort of thing. and scorn yeah. sets up as geekery creepiness like the closest you get to it is like you'll get like implanted with some sort of weird stuff but it all feels quite like in keeping with that setting but when you get the fetus man the set of puzzles <laughs> are basically about uh like getting him in getting him out of his egg whether that means uh, like killing him or getting him out in a way that keeps him alive, but is still fairly unpleasantly violent. And there's just this one bit where some machine does something to his head. You have to push this little trolley around with this man on it, and he's screaming and like begging you to stop wordlessly. And I mm. just found it like like actually horrific which i know is the point and i i oh in my preview i'd said this to cardi as well when i was getting him to have a look over it i do not want to come across as the person who's like oh it's so nasty i couldn't possibly (laughs) oh what an offensive game i don't believe any of that stuff it's just the tone is so different so suddenly and i was like having a nice time in this horrible place and then it like confronts you with this like absolutely horrific situation that feels quite voyeuristic and grubby um mm. and not and or grubby in the way we've already said we like um there's just something about it that really rubbed me up the wrong way and then when that bit was over it went back to being the kind of horrible giga place with interesting blank storytelling and i was like cool this is what i like um, and then you got called an idiot in and, then, and then this man said i was a dickhead <laughs> um uh and um 
yeah, I kind of don't know how to feel about it because if it if the bulk of that game is about the puzzles and like trying to work out what the fuck this place is and what your part in it is, I will really like it. And the and if you don't have to sit and be watched by the developers failing at their game, I bet it will actually be super gratifying to do those puzzles. Yeah. I fear from what I've seen and what you've said that there isn't going to be any gratification in this game. It's just going to be a few hours of disgusting stuff. And no. then it'll end up be like, and it'll just go crazy and be like, what do you think of that then? But then when the puzzles yeah, weren't about making me feel sick, they were interesting. like And okay. quite traditional. Like the, the To get the egg, it's just a sliding puzzle. Like if you reskinned it, pun not intended, it's a Professor Layton puzzle. Like it's sliding things around. <laughs> to Professor get one Layton thing from and this the end. sludge guts yeah. of doom. Yeah, it's Professor Layton, <laughs> but if his tube head was fully on show and you could see the true majesty <laughs> of the eldritch Layton head, um, and like that's interesting. There's a bit like so much of it feels so traditional when you strip it back. It's like, oh, which parts of these like tracks do I need to move to interact to get this from here to here? But I can only see those tracks from a top-down view, and like. There's stuff in there where you just go, oh, this is just like a bunch of people who love puzzle games, but they're also Mm -hmm. perverts. Um, (laughs) um, So uh, if it is that stuff, I'm intrigued. We haven't had like a big, open, lavish 3D puzzle game like this for a very long time. Not to this extent. Like, I know there was that, is it the Turing test was one? Yeah, the Turing test. Mm -hmm. And then there's, is it Cube? Like Q-U-B-E is like a... Yeah. Weirdly, the people who made Cube were also quite rude to me once. Maybe it's just puzzle <laughs> games. Maybe um, you just can't solve puzzles. <laughs> I'm bad at them. Um, uh, but, like, this is the thing. I'm bad at puzzles, but I like them when I solve them. So mm-hmm. if I'm just not under time pressure, it's probably great. Um, yeah. I'm not trying to throw them under the bus too much. It might have just been one dude at the very end it of the game who was very <laughs> sick of watching people be bad at his game. Yeah. I mean, plenty of people probably told you you were the best at their game, though, when you were at games. I had I had one person tell me I'd done it better than anyone else. And also, to be fair, at the same time uh, as um, as I was failing at this game, at the end of the hour, the guy next to me had gone half as far as I had through. Well, the, there through we go. The, through Maybe the they demos. were laughing at him. Oh no, this guy was right behind me. <laughs> like, he was right next to me. Um, it was oh, about I wish me. I was that. Uh, oh, that would have been funny. Um, uh, but well, yeah. like this game's been like long delayed. Like we've known about it a long time, but it's all at the same time. It's kind of snuck up on us. This is out in one month. Yeah, so, this was uh, meant to be a, a Series X launch game, and before that, wasn't it announced in like 2015 or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. For, it was. It was like a PC game. Yeah. Um, it's been around a long time, but it yeah, it's finally coming next month, and so everyone can enjoy the sludge. Honestly, good on them. And the, I think an interesting thing to point out here is, uh, if you've listened to the podcast recently, we also spoke about Flintlock, which is another game we came out of Gamescom raving about. Mm. Both of them published by this publisher, Kepler, who's kind of come out of nowhere, and I'm looking at their lineup and just being like, this might be the birth of like a really interesting new publisher, mm-hmm. which we don't see very often at all. Like I don't think they're connected to anyone. They're not no, like well, a... so so Kepler is almost like a union of lots of different developers that are just like, well, we can publish each other's games, basically. Yeah, so yeah. if we work together, yeah, yeah. I like, they've got a lot I'm of super, interesting things. Super excited by what they've got got coming. Mm-hmm. It seems really, really intriguing. Yeah. Um, and even if Scorn isn't totally my bag, 
I love that someone's fucking putting money behind this mm-hmm. horrible bullshit. Yeah. Like, we, we need more weird stuff. So, yeah. You heard it here first. Winner of Best Family Game at the Game Awards. <laughs> yeah, Score. go for it. <laughs> um, do you know what might have an outside chance that's blown up this week of winning that award? Only the Trombone Game. What's it actually called? Trombone Champ. <laughs> trombone Champ. You've played, of course you've played this joke. Absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's basically Guitar Hero with a Trombone Me guy, isn't it? Uh, yeah, so it's, tr- it's, <laughs> It's a bit of guitar here and a bit of like dance dance revolution to a certain extent. Um, it is like the clear like since Goat Simulator, the most obvious like meme game mm-hmm. <laughs> I've seen for a long time. But it is also genuinely quite a clever parody of rhythm games. Like it works really well as um, it works really well as a as a scored rhythm action game. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you don't know, it's it's a game where you, your only instrument is a trombone. Um, you can play any note, and it's not like chromatic scales. It won't sound good. Like, so you slide your mouse around to hit the right pitch. Oh, it pitch. will not sound good. Uh, <laughs> and, like, it slides like a trombone slides. So you go... <laughs> like, there's no hitting the right notes unless you are on the right notes. Um and you just play a bunch of like unlicensed songs that they've got. It's the sort of thing like ten years ago, Nintendo would just put out as like Wii Wear. Honestly, <laughs> well, they're being so blatant about it because the characters look like me's. Like it looks mm-hmm. like Wii Music characters playing. Um, and the, it's funny as hell, but it's also genuinely like a good rhythm game. Like it is a compelling rhythm game. Playing, oh man. Playing the Sprack Zarathustra from, uh, you know, um, 2001. 2001 Space Odyssey is, honestly, it's mu- it's the funniest thing I've done in games this year. It's that's, so, that, that so That is the funny. music sorted for the end of this podcast. Yeah. Um, oh, do you want me to record me playing it? Oh, I'm Trombone Champ. I can do that in two minutes after this. Oh, it's so funny. Um, and, uh, God, yeah, it's just so stupid. It's great. I'm, I'm less intrigued by... It starts with like an opening that's very clearly a ripoff of Demon Souls, which is funny. <laughs> but it sets up this odd, like, it has this quite possibly tedious fascination with baboons. Like, baboons are everywhere. And that, I'm okay. a bit more like, this is just straight, like, you know, alt Twitter bullshit that I don't need to be all over this game because it <clears> is quite <throat> clever. Um, it has a whole collectible card system where you earn toots for playing well. And then you spend toots on packs of cards, which have everything from like um, Beethoven and Caravaggio to like baboons on them. Um, And then it's a mechanic I haven't yet unlocked, but I think you can sacrifice your collection of cards to earn new trombones. There's a lot more to this. I thought it's it was a big just, game. There's a few songs. There's a lot of <laughs> stuff in it, and I think it will. I really feel like it's going oh, to work. Have to more. play it now. Aren't I? I think there might be a secret mode in it. Like it's very odd. Um, Is it on Switch? No, currently it's just PC, as far as I'm aware. Uh, okay. um, but I'm glad it exists. Like I don't know how long I'll play it for, but the bits I've played, I'm just. It's very, very funny. Um, yeah, it's, it's great. There we go. Are you going to get your trombone out, Matt? Um, probably not, but I am very delighted by the amount of nasty memes that I've seen from mm. this. <laughs> yeah, the ratings are go from like uh, I think there is. I think it's just like perfect down to nasty and disgusting, which <laughs> is really funny. <laughs> That's that just is good a stuff. nasty toot. Yeah. Uh, right. 
We haven't done one for a week or two, I think. Uh-oh. I think it is time for an endless search. Ooh. Inside, it's a UK IGN crew. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the ones and twos. We got the games gonna play for you. Inside, I got a question for you. Hold tight, the DJ, we're coming through. Yeah, yeah, and the ones and twos. We got the games gonna play for you. Inside, I got a question for you. Is it in the search? This week's end the search. We're bringing back. We're bringing back a favourite. One that we're still getting people writing in for names of. This one is from Emilios. He says, first time, long time, and so on. I know the game hasn't been played in a while, but in case it does come back, now's the time. The endless search game, where you guess the name of a movie or show based off of bad user reviews, should clearly be called Everyone's a Critic. No real pun or special wordplay here, but it does get the message across. I agree. It's clean. Also, it's clear. every one, like one star. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's even better. I don't know if there that was intended, but together. I think it works. It does work. Uh, Emilio says he's cracked up several times whilst playing it, but needing to share that game tile has been eating up since the first time it was played. I'm glad to share this. For this week, it will be called Everyone's a Critic. And if you haven't listened to it before, what I've got here is five films that are generally considered good films by the general public. But there are people out there on IMDb who enjoy giving these films one-star reviews. So I've taken excerpts of these reviews in descend well uh, in descending difficulty uh, from five to one. So you get five points if you get it on the first clue, one if you get it on the last. Five films, five uh, multiple points to play for. Let's just do it. Let's just let's just do it. So here we go. We've got the first film. The first the first excerpt of the first film. Mm-hmm. In fact, you guys ready? Yeah. As usual, it hurts me very deeply to see my favourite childhood heroes utterly humiliated and destroyed by Hollywood. The underlying message of this movie seems to be that the age of heroes is dead. There's no beauty left in the world, no hope, no shining intelligent ideas or dreams. It's all been replaced by shallow, empty script writers and greedily ruthless movie producers. So watch this movie and say goodbye to your childhood heroes one more time because they all die. I'm just going to go in with the obvious. Is it The Last Jedi? It is not The yeah, Last okay. Jedi. Let's get that out of the way. Interesting. You get one guess each per per clue, just to keep it going. Someone's not happy there that their childhood heroes have been humiliated. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm just going to say The Force Awakens. It's not The Force Awakens. Get right. them out of the way. For four points. Yeah. Mind-bogglingly bad film. I can't believe. Sorry, was it bogglingly or boggingly? (laughs) Bog. They wrote bogglingly. Bogglingly. I'm reading these verbatim. If they're these are what the people write. Mind bogglingly bad film. I can't believe there are so many people saying lyrical things about this. Is this really what substitutes as a good film in the year 2017? Hello. Come on. There is seriously nothing good about this film. Avoid it. Or just waste a couple of hours of your life like I did mine. Uh, Infinity War. No. Was that 2017? Feels uh, like it was. around then. 17 or 18. Mind-bogglingly. Mind-bogglingly. Bogglingly. <laughs> the mind bloggles. <laughs> <laughs> um... It's that childhood thing. I'm, I'm trying mm. to figure what was the nostalgia plays that year. Mm. Um, you got five seconds, Matt. We're moving on. 
from the mind-bogglingly bad form. <laughs> we're moving on. We're yeah, moving on. Move on. It's, on. Just to check, this is widely regarded as a very good film. I would say so, yeah. yeah, so yeah it's, not, it's, it's not Justice all, League, then. <laughs> yeah. No, these are all good films, um, people would say. Of course, there'll be some people who don't love them, but there you go. For three points. The year is 2029, and the army has not developed the technology to capture kids safely. <laughs> not even a net gun or taser would have worked better than tackling them. What the fuck? They even had harpoon guns that do not kill, and they do not use them on the kids. Instead, they just chase them through a forest. What the fuck what? is this movie? <laughs> they can't capture kids in the year 2029. <laughs> Even a net gun would have been easier. Obviously, this guy knows how to capture kids. This feels so obvious. Well, it feels like it should be so obvious, and I cannot think what this is. Uh, I don't know. Oh, yeah, you, yeah, I don't know. Some people probably have got it by now. It's not. But, this is the point. I, it's not War for the Planet of the Apes, is it? It is not. No. <laughs> Do you think monkeys are children? There are children monkeys in it. There are children monkeys, but it's not that. And do remember, this is mind-bogglingly bad. <laughs> it came out 2017. Yeah, they don't have the technology to capture kids. It's Graphic set in world. the year. No, that was earlier. Well, moving on, it? two points. If the writers of this movie were focused on a, nan- a non-standard law path, they should have made sure the damn viewer was more comfortable with the new and contradicting environment they're presenting with, and not assume we've read or even appreciated this alternate storyline. Fuck. <laughs> you may- maybe the last one was easier than that clue. I don't know. It's hard to order these sometimes, but I think um, I mean the next one you should get it from. But uh, if you. We can happily move to one point if you've not... Catching not kids in 2029. <laughs> <laughs> the film came out in 2017. Let me make sure they're correct with that. I'm pretty sure they were. Yep, they were. It's a 2017 film. Um, Age of Heroes have been humiliated. There's no beauty left in the world. Well, I know that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to move on to one point? Yeah. You have to be quick on, quick on your buzzer here. There are a couple of gratuitous Christophobic images. One of the bad guys has a Christian cross tattooed on his arm. The arm is then removed from his body. In another scene, a cross is repurposed into an X for X-Men. <laughs> uh, it's Logan, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it is Logan. <laughs> X-Men. That's uh, disgusting. Yeah, there we go. I thought you might get it from the the kid capturing in twenty twenty nine. Yeah, no, you, through the forest. That's not the bit of Logan I think of. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't want to make it too easy. But there you go. That's that's one one point to Joe. Maybe the others will be easier. Do you know what? At least we got to hear them all that time, and that's that's always nice, isn't it? Uh, <clears throat> right. Next film. After almost 20 mind-numbingly incomprehensible minutes that seem so much longer, it comes as a shock to realise that what one is suddenly seeing floating across the screen is, after 20 minutes, remember, the opening credits of the movie. This can mean only one thing, and it isn't good news. Sweet Jesus, there's still an entire movie to come. (laughs) That's your clue. Do you know any films where where the, the title's coming after 20 minutes? Ah. 
the Irish. Get on five points. You got to be good. It's not the Irishman. I feel like that came in late. It might have. I can't. I can't remember. I watched something I, recently where it came in, where titles came in crazy late. But I can't well, remember. I mean, what that Nolan does them right at the end, doesn't he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. It's not. It's not. I think it's later than twenty minutes, but fresh. I think that's about half an hour Ooh, before that. Not, that not is fresh, that is that's exactly what I was thinking of. Mm-hmm. That's the that's one. Good shout. Uh, four points. After watching this movie, I feel like running around screaming, you're missing the point, you're missing the point. Perhaps I'm missing the point. (laughs) The film gets kudos for being clever and quirky and well filmed, in a being John Malkovich kind of way. Clever, quirky, but there's a spiritual barrenness underlying it. Shouldn't art be more more than clever? Shouldn't it reach deeper? Limericks are clever, (laughs) we don't call them art. (laughs) Don't we? (laughs) Also, what limericks have you heard that are clever? (laughs) They all rhyme Nantucket with fuck it. Um, Is it in a being John Malkovich kind of way? Yeah. There's a clue there. Just spiritual barrenness. Eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. It is. Oh! Oh, That is is a hell of a shout. Yeah, that was a big reach. Well played. I just that is four I was, points. I was thinking of John Malkovich, but sad, and that's what came up. <laughs> um, I, other clues for this one were in a culture that uh, desperately seeks needs a sense of community and connection. Peddling movies and songs about romance is like giving cotton candy to a starving person. Wow. Um, I don't know. Uh, they said they're tired of seeing movies about love and loneliness. Um, do, 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 any other funny clues? Doesn't sound like movies' fault, like the movies' no. fault. <laughs> oh, here's the last clue for this one, which is uh, which is very good. I wish people wouldn't think that any film which doesn't have a discernible beginning, middle, end structure automatically qualifies as intelligent or engaging, and that just because Jim Carrey isn't smacking himself in the face or making chimp noises, he is acting. He isn't. He is just biding his time until he can start hitting himself in the face again. As someone who very much thinks that Jim Carrey's better at acting when he is smashing himself in the face and making chimp noises, I take huge umbrage with this. Right, still time. It's five nil to Joe, but still three three films left. That so do not get disheartened, young man. You're still in this. Next film. So many things just didn't add up, particularly in some of the characterizations. The young girl's parents, for instance, just weren't the type to have her thrown out of the house when they found out she was pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> they just weren't those sort of parents. You could just tell. There's your clue. A film where a film where a parents kick out kick out their daughter because she's pregnant isn't as oh. grim a film oh, no. as that sounds Juno it's not Juno I don't, she doesn't does she even have parents in that movie I can't remember what I the parents remember. situation is yeah 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 isn't, isn't it J.K. Simmons is her dad in that? Yeah. I haven't watched that film not in a right. long time uh, oh I love burger phones <laughs> <laughs> that's that is the core of that film yeah um, that's what Jason Bateman Matt. says you only think of any films where... No. Uh, oh, okay. Not clue for four points. No edge nor directorial creativity and hardly does anything but tell an interesting story in a very bland way. The best part of the movie was the opening credits, which was a throwback to the classic graphics of the opening credits of the 1950s. Mm-hmm. A 1950s style's opening credits. 
Ooh. That feels like a big. That clue. would ring a bell. Yeah, that, for me anyway, it, it's it's a big clue. But for some, for others, maybe it's not. No, clearly. No, no. Should we move on? Uh, Boogie Nights. It's not Boogie Nights. For three points, I'm sorry, but this movie was beyond boring and way too dumb to take seriously. Over two hours of nothing. How can you drag out something as pointless as running around writing bad checks? <laughs> yeah, because everything presented in the movie could really happen, right? Don't believe the hype. A stinker through and through. Writing two hours checks. of writing bad checks. That was like fun to me. <sighs> Film with a lot of a lot of bad checks being written. This feels obvious. I hate this game. I let you you win. <laughs> Bad check movie. That's not what it's called. With some nineteen fifties opening credits. Not made in the fifties though. I will. I will give you that, as you probably guessed. Uh, and at one point, a girl is thrown out by her parents because she's pregnant. Nothing. No. Two points. How many dreadful movies can this Spielberg guy generate before the <laughs> this public? Spielberg can- guy. <laughs> Can this Spielberg guy generate before the public catches on that he's a flash-in-the-pan non-talent who got lucky with Jaws and Raiders, oh crash-diving every time since? <laughs> what a ridiculous thing to say. Got lucky with Jaws and Raiders and lost up. Lucky. Yeah. Like, he accident- like he stumbled on those movies. <laughs> um, there you go, you know he made it. Let's narrow it down. It has, but... Oh, people are going to be screaming I know! Now. I know! <laughs> lot of bad checks being written. 1950s opening. Girl gets thrown out of the house. <laughs> Those are your clues. Are we going to one point? Because this will me. give it away. But it's a very funny last clue. <laughs> so I really want to read it. Do it, do it. One point. Leonardo DiCaprio, unfortunately... Catch me if you can. Yeah, it's catch me if you can. I forgot that was Spielberg. Oh, people do. I thought that was... In my head, for some reason, that's Scorsese. Did he make something really similar? Um, well, he'd had a lot with DiCaprio around mm-hmm. that time. Maybe The Aviators are that's a tiny what bit I'm similar. Thinking. I'm just, for some reason, because they've both got planes in them. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, ca- the, the check thing. Like, I did for yeah. a moment, I was like, is it that? And then I was like, no, it, well, they're, they're talking metaphorically. Not no, actual no, fucking. No, no, no. Yeah. They were talking about it. Anyway, here's the last clue, which is amazing. Leonardo DiCaprio unfortunately marred and tainted by his career for life by choosing to do Titanic. If I had the chance to make multi millions and be an international sex star, I probably would sell out too. His performance in this, along with the rest of his films, is superb. Unfortunately, Tom Hanks does exactly what he usually does act poorly. <laughs> Classic Hanks. Like Tom Hanks. Absolutely classic non actor (laughs) Hanks. Not charming, not good at acting. (laughs) Can't do it to save his life. Go back to your typewriter's dickhead. (laughs) (laughs) Right, 6 0 to to Joe, two more films. Plenty in this for you, Matt. And yeah, do you know what? These last two, I believe in you. You, You've got these. I've had a bad bad day. There's no need to put any faith (laughs) over here. Oh, no, no, you've got this. Five points here for the next film. Somehow they managed to make the villain even more lamer than the hero. 
But but what do you expect when the villain was too lazy to do his thinking for himself and instead relied on a computer program? The very fact that critics gave this movie such good reviews shows that even the so-called intelligentsia of this country is assimilating to the craven aesthetic values of their mindless spawn. First movies were considered entertainment, and some of it was entertainment. Then movies were considered art, and some of it was art. Now movies are neither, and they should be abolished. (laughs) They should be abolished? (laughs) Movies should be abolished. I just wanted to read that. All good films ever, and work out which one made one person think they should all be abolished. (laughs) And it's mad when you work out what one it is. Basically, your clue is there that the villain was too lazy to think for himself and relied on a computer programme. But also, films should be abolished because of this. That does actually feel like a much bigger clue than because I got so caught up on <laughs> abolished. Um, the villain is relying on a computer program rather than the villain is a computer program. They're relying on a computer program. That is correct. Right. And they managed to make them even lamer than the hero. Imagine that. Mm. Mission Tr- Impossible. It's not Mission Impossible. Got anything for me on that? Nope, Even at yet. a wild guess. Can okay, we? Four can points. You, can, mm, no, actually, maybe that's too big. I was just going to say, can you rule out all Mission Impossible films? Do you know what? I will. Good. There you go. It's just there's so many and loads of them have computer viruses <laughs> <Yeah>. in them. <laughs> uh, here we go for four points. Lots of explosions, crashes, punches, etc. I know this film is about superheroes and villains, but I just couldn't get past how unsettling it all was. And trust me, when I say it is odd for me to comment on such a thing, I'm usually one of those people complaining about how uptight all those PG-13 lovers are. They just thought, for a superhero film, it was all quite unsettling. Explosions, crashes, punches... But it was PG-13. It had a computer program in it. Mm. And it's not... And it's good. It's widely considered to be good. I would... Yep, I would say so. This had better not be the thing I think it is. Because it's not good. Um, (laughs) It is good. It is considered good. It's not the Winter Soldier. It's not the no, so I was just w- wondering if they were trying to talk about when Solar is in the computer. Uh, no, mm. that's a good that's a good shout though. That is a good shout. But it's not that one. Watchmen. Got any form? It's not Watchmen. For three points. This movie has a lot of highly predictable action sequences. To make things even worse, these action sequences are very long. This is seen in the boring chase through the forest. <laughs> There's your clue. It's a, a chase through a forest, which is more one of uh, probably the highlight of the film. I would say for me, anyway. I mean, is this just Logan again? <laughs> it's not chase Logan. through a forest, is that? It's, it's not Logan again. Um, PG thirteen superhero film with a chase through a forest. Uh, movies should be abolished. Um, a villain who relies on a computer program. Chase for a Forest. Almost makes it sound more like a Bond film, actually. Well, yeah, because at one point I was like, oh, is it Skyfall? Because obviously the whole kind of like networking mm. stuff that's in that. Oh, it's good as well. Mm. <sighs> so the Can only, I'm thinking, it, if it's a Marvel film, the only thing that is literally coming to mind that has a forest scene in it is Age of Ultron, which is what I'm going to say, even though I know yeah. that it is not liked. It's not. Thank Xbox you for jumping right. on that grenade for <laughs> yeah. me because that's what right. I was thinking. I was like, better not Two be points. This. Two points. I just couldn't relate with the characters and the whole premise. 
On the plus side, the animation work was very nicely done. Oh, we got our, we got our money back. It is not. What? <laughs> That's got a chase through a forest and it's really good. <laughs> well, it's not that. We got our money back after p- politely asking at the front desk. I suppose I'll have to rent it to see what happened in the, lo- in the last 45 minutes. Please enlighten me to what I missed. <laughs> so it's you now know it's animated. That's a big clue. Animated superheroes. Chase through a forest. Villain with a computer program. Is it The Incredibles? It is The Incredibles. There we go. And this person thought The Incredibles is what should lead to the abolishment of movies. (laughs) Well. (laughs) Oh, dear. Right, 6-2. That means if you get it on the first one here, Matt, you can win the whole thing. You can draw it on the second. Do it. I would say there's a chance. Right. For five points. This is absolutely the most boring movie I've sat through. Little dialogue, characters you couldn't care less for. Most of the dialogue is mumbling. The score is annoying. The timeline is confusing, to say the least. Blade Runner 2049? No. Blade Runner. <laughs> it's not Blade Runner. Oh, do you know what? I forgot to read the last one for The Incredibles, mm. which is which is good. Um, actually, it's just saying how they thought the Oscars were... Ro- uh, the Shrek and no Shrek two and Shark Tale were robbed at the Oscars because the Incredibles won. Fair play. <laughs> um, right, no, that's your clue uh, for five points. Now to draw it, Matt, for four points. It is so amateurish. Whoever wrote this screenplay forgot the story. The special effects are from the nineteen fifties. Also, it's hard to figure out what they're saying. I missed half the dialogue, but I didn't miss much because it's a worthless film. It's aimless, boring, pathetic, and cheap. There is nothing e- epic about this film. It's a sad joke. What a waste of my money. It's one of the most overrated films of all time. The only thing I know about it so far is that it's mumbly with mm. an annoying sort. And special effects from the 1950s mm-hmm. might be a bit of a clue. Yeah. I just. It's not There Will Be Blood, is it? It's not. You know, there's mumbling, a confusing timeline, an annoying score. All of these things may not be true. <laughs> annoying score. <laughs> With effects that could have come from the 1950s, which I would also, again, contest. (laughs) No, go ahead. Okay, three points. It's official. Movies are no longer about telling a story. I'm sure the critics that write the reviews are paid shills because (laughs) because anyone who considers that movie to be a masterpiece has either never seen a war movie or is just taking money to lie to the public. To the people who consider themselves to be a critic, I say this. If you want the movie industry to become like the gaming industry, where the main goal is most profit in shortest time regardless of the content, then keep spouting this BS. Otherwise, you need to start telling yourself the truth. Is it done quirk? It is done quirk. There you go. Confusing timelines. To be fair... the clues were very there. mumbly film. <laughs> so it is a mumbly film. Like all of Nolan's second half of his career, for some reason, <laughs> no one speaks without sounding like they've got a scarf over their whole head. <laughs> he does need to sort that out. Um, the last two are quite funny, so I'll read that. The clues: um, day, morning, evening, rough seas, very calm seas. Never bloody mind, just shoot the scene. Damn it! The day progresses achingly slowly, and even although we see two sunrises, sunsets, a storm, and everything in between. We are meant to believe it all happens during these story points. What lazy filmmaking. I do not believe. <laughs> I don't think they quite understood what was going believe. on there with the uh, the time. And the last one. Is that a Dunkirk truther? I think so. 
<laughs> the lo- oh, there is a lot of people in reading those reviews just like, there was so many more people on the beach and he- there's only a few <sighs> hundred in this. <laughs> um, but the last, the, last, the last review for Dunkirk goes as follows. I was bored after 15 minutes. The ridiculous story of the kid in the fishing boat the original bit about the Spitfire, uh, Spitfire pilots and the nonsense of the soldiers taking cover in the boat. Absolutely shallow, lazy, boring, rubbish filming. If they added a decent music score, it might have kept me interested. One of my favourite film scores, that. But there you go. <laughs> uh, there we go. Good game. Well played. 9-2 to Joe. Sorry, Matt, it just wasn't your day. That's all right. Come back another day when your brain's working, eh? How about well? <laughs> okay, <laughs> suddenly turned into a one-star review of Matt. <laughs> uh, right, we do. This is, this, is, this is why Matt should be abolished in all places everywhere. <laughs> I think so. You were once considered art, now you should be abolished. Um, of course, we love your feedback. We've got a couple of pieces today. IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN dot com. So just write in anything you want to get off your chest. Please do tell us. Um, we're always, you know. I haven't got anything about what 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 do you want to hear about at the moment? Um I would genuinely like to hear I know we talked about this before we came on, but I would genuinely like to hear from our listeners their thoughts on the GTA leak. Because I would I'm gen I'm obviously our industry is all is kind of all going. It's probably a bad thing. But uh, I would love to know if there are people who are like, well, A, do you agree? Or B are you super into the idea that we got a big look at a a game, what, even if it came. Did they agree that it should be leaked? Well, not should be leaked, but did they enjoy the leak? Like, mm. I'm just interested that, in where people are at with that yeah. stuff. I mean, I don't enjoy leaks, but I'm sure there's it's some not, people are like, it's cool, not, we got It's not my look. thing, but I would be interested to hear people's opinions on it. Yeah, there we go. Let us know about that. IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. Who are we hearing from at the moment, though, Joe? This is uh, Tommy Tom Tom Hughes. <laughs> he says, hi, IGN UK crew. He says, I'm a long-time listener, and I'm a first-time writer. All right. Firstly, sorry for calling you Tommy Tom Tom. Firstly, I would like to say thanks for getting me through hours of dissolving rocks in acid for my geology PhD. I'm glad that was summed up, (laughs) the reasoning for it, because otherwise I'd be very worried about you. I know it's not as glamorous as as grave digging, but I do dig up 350 million year old fossils. Pretty glamorous. Um, Mm -hmm. Now... He says, I enjoyed your discussion over the Welcome to Wrexham documentary the other week. Being a Wrexham resident for the last two-ish years myself, I have loved the doc. I have never actually been to a match, but I do have a shirt, so I guess I'm a little bit of a fan. Someone I know in Wrexham, a local film filmmaker lad named Rob, recently completed a challenge I thought you might find cool. <laughs> he set up an exhibition space in an old shop window in the town centre and watched Green Lantern on repeat a hundred times. Uh, or... Hi! Or... Hi! <laughs> yeah, I think, as we've said before, Simon, I think we're the only people in the world who regularly reference the bit where Peter Sarsgaard goes, Hi! Hi! In Green Lantern. It's very funny. It's worth looking at. He watched Green Lantern on repeat 100 times or until Rob or Ryan, the men who bought Wrexham, rang him and told him to stop. He even slept there and he live-streamed the entire thing 24-7. My girlfriend and I became really obsessed with it, like it was the best season of Big Brother ever. He did indeed watch the film 100 times, (laughs) taking eight-ish days, and they did not ring him. Oh, that's so sad. 
He was a bit. <laughs> I was a bit gutted for all involved that the big cheeses didn't make contact, but it was a cool bit of performance art nonetheless. To be fair, if I was if I was Ryan Reynolds, I would a part of me would feel bad, but I'd also be like, I really want this guy to just watch it. I would very times. specifically send him a letter saying, "You may not stop. <laughs> this does not invoke the contract." Oh um, no. Uh, yeah, his company and YouTube channel is called 73 Degree Films, if you're interested. I'm not going to watch eight days of a man watching Green Lantern. I might, I might, have a, I might watch ten seconds. Yeah. Anyway, keep up the good work. And, right. This starts badly, but it gets better. Respect the Earth oh, okay. and its vast geological history, <laughs> which included various seas along the way. So that's fine. Fair enough. Fair as enough. long as we're taking into account this, uh... all the 70% of water, there or thereabouts, then we're if... okay. I mean, Green Lantern would be nowhere near the top of the list. Like, if you had to pick a film to watch a hundred times in a row, what would you pick? Moneyball. Really? <laughs> I don't know why. It... I can watch Moneyball anytime, <sighs> anywhere, and have a lovely hundred time. times in a row. Though I don't know. I suppose you'd want something short that doesn't last as long. <laughs> oh yeah, that's actually a good know. point. Because, like, don't get me wrong, there'll be blood. My favorite film of all time. Not watching that a hundred but... times. I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd maybe watch it a few, but yeah, that's you'd want something I'd as watch a Watch it a few. You have watched it a few. That's not impressive. Yeah. Not in a row though. Um, yeah, I'd have to go something a bit more fun. Just stick Toy Story more. on. Seventy-seven minutes. You're done. Over, yeah. over How long again. Toy Story is? Yeah, it's like seventy-seven yeah. minutes. Fair the Incredibles. How about Lazy uh, film, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, what film could you watch a hundred times in a row? Right to IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. What have you got, Matt? We got one from Alex Pierce, who says, "Hi all, long-time listener and a big C respecter. What a wonderful, what a wonderful occupation." Uh, I recently started playing Doom on Xbox Game Pass on my new Series S, and have been having a hell of a time shooting through Hellspawn and finding the most gruesome ways to dismember Doom guys' foes. It has been a game that I've always known that I would like, but have always put off finally playing it until now. Maybe just waiting for the right time. A mixture of intensifying metal music, which you had discussed on your game music pod, and the gratifying gore makes for a perfect single-player experience. I also, I also just enjoy the fact that it doesn't take itself seriously and has a straightforward linear, linear story which allows you to just turn your brain off and start blasting. This game made me think, is there any games you have on your to-be-played list that you know you're going to love but you just haven't got around to yet? Or is there any games you have played from memory that you were saving just because you knew that you would have a great fun with it once you set the time aside? Plus, go on, Joe. Pretty much all the Total War Warhammer games. I know mm -hmm. I like Total War. I know I like Warhammer. For some reason, I haven't touched a single one, and it makes me feel insane. I don't know why I haven't done it. Uh, yeah, uh, I've, I've got one which is linked to what we talked about earlier. Despite being a massive fan of the films, and a massive Monkey Island fan. I've actually never properly played Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. Oh, it's mm. good as well. I've started it a couple of times. Yeah, I've got it downloaded, and that is one I'm definitely saving for a rainy day. That's a good Christmas one for me, I think. Yeah. Finally get around to playing that. And another one is actually recently, and I know you've said that you, you'd imagine I'd enjoy it, Joe, is I've never played Splatoon. And I keep oh, seeing yeah. bits of Splatoon 3, and I'm like, this looks like I would. It feels very like the kind of thing it. you would get really obsessed with. Because it, That's the problem. Because it's about incremental. <laughs> betterment and you yeah. would uh, you're good at that particularly in shooters you really like finding one thing and milking it dry until <laughs> you're the best at it um, yeah i try my best and, but the problem is yeah. overwatch 2 comes out in like two weeks so have i got time for the splatoon interesting time i'm not excited about overwatch 2 yet and i really expect Ooh. it to be 
Um, it's because you're not playing it. As soon as you get back on it, you'd be like, Ooh, maybe. Ooh, I think daddy. I might just need. I think the lack of the PVE this year has really mm-hmm. turned me off a bit because that's the thing where I was like, cool, a big new thing to get to like ease me back. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we'll see. Well, it's free, though. We'll talk it? more about Overwatch in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Have you got any year saving, Matt? You're the type of person that, to me anyway, has played every game they'd want to play. <laughs> there's none you've looked at and you're like, I'll enjoy that. No, I'm I mean, play there's always some. I mean, they tend to be from like the back catalogs, right? Like, there's still like Infinity Engine CRPGs that I've never played. I've never played like the uh, the Icewind Dale games. There's still like in terms of that kind of range. I've never played any of the Pathfinder games, even though I know that they're clearly my sort of thing. Never played a thief other than the thief reboot. I thought you were going to say did. a fiefer. I've never played. <laughs> oh. <that. laughs> but like, obviously, you played thief. any thief? No, no. I I've played the the, the reboot that they did, but I've not. Like, I played like maybe twenty minutes of Thief One, but like, I know that kind of they obviously are hugely important uh, mm. immersive sims. There's mm-hmm. the shitloads of stuff I haven't played. Like, like you were saying, Joe, kind of like I've played bits of the Total War Warhammer games, but I have not played an entire campaign mm. which i probably should do at some point particularly now they've launched the bit that ties all three of them together so you can just have a a huge literally every faction is involved that's crazy that that whole thing is ridiculous mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh what a lovely time that was remember thursday 20th of october that's currently what we're looking at for a live show in london um hopefully we're about to properly confirm that next week but this has been a pleasure. It has. We, oh, it has. Should we have some of your trombones, Joe? Yeah, I'm going to boot it up right now, and I'll get it over to you. Oh, toot for us. Toot! It's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.